0: Well, you know what I have to say about that? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Great job. Give them another big hand. That was, that was remarkable. Wow. Fantastic. Been, uh, been looking forward to that all week. I, you, you don't know the hours I spent working with those girls just to get them to that point. where. Wow. And what about the cookies this morning? Did, did you have a cookie? Yeah. We got, we got the three C's here today. Cookies, cocoa, and coffee. And uh, if you didn't get any... Don't go right now, all right? They'll be there and you can have some as you're leaving today. Welcome to Christmas 2019 at Kavanaugh Church. The last couple of weeks I've been doing this series, The Greatest Story Ever Told. And so we have part three, the final part today. Open your Bibles to John chapter one. Uh, We've been talking to you the past two weeks from the prologue to John's gospel That is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And this passage conveys the deep truths that are related to the incarnation. That is a big word that simply means God came from heaven to earth in the form of his son Jesus so that we could go from earth to heaven. And that is a remarkable thing, is it not? In fact, here is what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So church, this is the exclusiveness of Christianity. If you want to go to heaven, there's only one way. There's not a multitude of ways. There's not a pick it and choose it kind of way. There's only one way. And that is through Jesus Christ. You go Through Jesus Christ. Now my goal for this series has been twofold. I want to accomplish two things while preaching from John chapter 1. And it's this, I want you to see Jesus for who he really is. Okay, now Matthew, when he told the story of Jesus coming into the world, he told it from Joseph's perspective. Luke comes along and tells the story from Mary's perspective. But John gives us a unique perspective. He tells us the story from our Heavenly Father's perspective, all right? That's how Jesus came. He came to earth in a unique way according to the Heavenly Father. And here's my intent. If you are a believer, number one, I want you to see Jesus like you've never seen him before. I want you to see Jesus as the Heavenly Father sees Him. And I would like for you to leave this place this morning loving Jesus like you've never loved Him before. To adore Him, to treasure Him, to embrace Him, to delight in Him, to glorify Him, to worship Him. Again, like you've never done before. My second purpose in preaching this series is, if you are not a believer, I pray that you would be moved to the very core of your being so that you come to know Jesus in a very personal way. Incidentally, this was the motivation for John writing his gospel. Here's what it says in John chapter 20 verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So here's what we've learned so far from John chapter 1. We have learned that Jesus, God's Son, who came to this world, came as light from heaven. He came into a very dark world. Do we need to talk about how dark this world is? (laughs) Let me tell you, it is a very dark place spiritually. But you know what? The world is not only dark. Inside your heart is darkness. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if God is not living in your life, your life on the inside is dark. You are decaying and dying in your trespasses and in your sins. But Jesus can change that. He is the light from God. And when the light comes, the darkness leaves. So number one, He's light. He's also life. Jesus has come to give us life life, eternal life. And then today in our scriptures, we're going to learn that Jesus is love. He is the love of God manifested in a person so that you can have a relationship with God. That brings us to John chapter 1 verse 14. Are you ready? Here we go. We're going to read it. John chapter 1 verse 14. And let me just say, all scripture is inspired by God. Amen? All Scripture is great. Vaughn, any Scripture is going to speak to your heart because it's God talking to you. But there are certain verses that are just, I mean, they're just, they're unique. They're, they're pure. They're, they're rich. And I would say that John chapter 1, verse 14 is one of those verses. It is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And here's what it says. And the Word became flesh. Now, remember two weeks ago we read verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we learned at the very beginning that word, Word, represents Jesus, all right? Jesus is the living Word of God. And the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth hang on to that concept john the baptist bore witness of him and here's what john cried out saying this was he of whom i said he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me now that gets deep real quick i mean you're wading in in water about to your knees and all of a sudden it's over your head Because John is giving us some theology here. He says, before me, there was Jesus. He came after me, but he was before me. Why? Because he's God. He's always existed. And of his fullness, we have all received. Grace for grace. Love that. For the law was given through Moses, but and came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He, that is Jesus, has declared God to us. So you see, church, the incarnation means literally that God Almighty has moved into our neighborhood in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus had to become fully human in order to demonstrate God's love to us. And when Jesus did that, when Jesus became flesh, then all of a sudden we learned some amazing things about God. Two of them I want to share with you today. Number one, the God who was once invisible has all of a sudden become visible. I, I thought you were going to say, wow, because that is one of those wow moments. The God who has always been invisible has all of a sudden become visible. And God became visible, first of all, in human flesh. Look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So right here where it says the word dwelt among us, the phrase literally means that God tented with us or God tabernacled with us. Now go back to the Old Testament. Remember that the people of God, as they worship God in the wilderness, they would worship around the tabernacle or the tent. The tent... Of meeting was where God met with his people. Well, God has set up his tent, if you will, in our own campground. All of a sudden, God has set up his tent in our neighborhood. And in order for God to do that, he had to take on human flesh. Let me say it like this it was imperative for the Word, that is, the Son of God to take on the body of a man, human flesh. It was more than just his being able to identify with us, to which he can. I mean, you go over to the book of Hebrews. It tells us that Jesus was tempted in every manner that we are tempted. Why? So that he could teach us how to overcome temptation. Jesus knows what you're going through, even in the most difficult times of your life. Why? Because he's been here. And he's lived it. He's fleshed it out. But it's more than that. The reason Jesus became flesh was for the purpose of accomplishing our redemption. Jesus died on the cross in human flesh. And in so doing, Jesus crucified sin. I like to say it like this. He nailed sin to his cross. Now, follow me. The big difference about Jesus from us is his spirit. The difference between us and Jesus Christ is that his tent was God himself. In our tent, there's this spirit of the flesh or this spirit of the man. And that's what John goes on to tell us, that God not only came to us visibly in human flesh, but Jesus also came visible with heavenly glory. Jesus was fully man, fully God at the same time. Try that. You can't do it, all right? Have you ever been to a campground at night where there are a whole bunch of tents and, and somebody's, somebody's staying up late? I guess their last name is Archer, all right? and they're playing some games, and so all the tents are dark because everybody's sleeping except this one tent, and they've got their, their lantern on, and their tent is glowing. You ever seen that? Come on, use your imaginations if you haven't. There's one tent, and, and it's glowing. Light is coming out of it. Well, there was something glowing inside of Jesus' Human flesh. There was something glowing inside of his tent. And what was it? It was heavenly glory. It was the Shekinah glory of God. I mean, look at verse 14 again. And we beheld his what? His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and truth. So God's glory became visible in the person of Jesus Christ. For the first time, the invisible God became visible. Now, there had been points in history throughout the Old Testament that people got a a glimpse, just maybe a snapshot, of this Shekinah glory of God. Uh, one, One time was in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness those 40 years. Remember what guided them? It was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night when the cloud moved they moved when the fire moved they moved when the cloud and the fire stopped they stopped and in that Shekinah glory of God they kind of got a sense these people got a sense that that's the power of God that's the glory of God And then in that tent of meeting, that tabernacle, there were a few occasions when God entered that tabernacle and filled it up and and smoke came billowing out of it. They got a snapshot of God's Shekinah glory. But none of these were sufficient enough to reveal to us the entire glory of God until Jesus came. Notice what Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says. The sun, which is Jesus, is the brightness of his glory. And Jesus is the expressed image of his person. Hang on to that. Jesus is the fulfillment of the glory of God. And when you look into the face of Jesus, you're looking into the face of God. 2 Corinthians verse 4, chapter 4, verse 6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And now in our verse in John chapter 1, it says, We beheld His glory, the glory of God Himself, full of grace and full of truth. Now, we're going to come back to that, but right now let's skip down to verse number 18. It says... No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has what? Declared Him. And when it says that Jesus declared Him, the word for declared is the word that we get our English word exegesis from. Now, maybe you're unfamiliar with that verse. It's kind of a theology word. We don't use it in everyday conversation. But it sure is a fun word to say. Exegesis. You're wanting to say it right now with me, aren't you? Okay, I'm going to let you. One, two, three. Exegesis. You say, well, what does exegesis mean? Exegesis simply means to explain something. And you may not be familiar with the word, but you're familiar with exegeting because every Sunday morning when you come in here, it's what I do. I mean, I'm doing it right now with John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. I am explaining these verses to you. I am exegeting them to you. I'm doing what is called exegesis. And that is exactly what Jesus did with the Father. That's what this verse says. Jesus declared the Father. Jesus exegeted the Father. So in the New Testament, when people watch Jesus when they heard him preach and heard him teach, they could literally say, okay, that's what God is like. That's God. And for you and me, when we go to the Scripture, especially the Gospel, and we read those words in red, the words of Jesus, we can listen to those words and we can see Jesus coming alive from the pages of Scripture and we learn and we can say, oh, that's what God is like. Because Jesus has declared God to us. The God of the Bible revealed himself in the form of a person. Jesus. And why did God do it that way? Well, it's because God is love. And love, love itself manifests itself through relationships. And that's what God is all about. The God who was Invisible became visible. Why did God do it that way? He became visible so that he could have a personal relationship with you. And that's, that's point number two. The God who is now visible also wants to be personal. Look at verse 16. Are you all still there? Okay, I was just wondering. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but... Now, guys, come on. When I do that, it means you say it, all right? But, and, came through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to hang with these two words, grace and truth, because it, it, it is amazing, grace and truth. I tell you what, that, that, that reappears over and over in this scripture. So put that in the back of your mind. Now, we're told here in verse number 17 how God himself personally revealed who he is to us. God was at first revealed to us through the law. That's why it says in verse number 17, the law was given through Moses. Moses gave us the law. God gave it to Moses. Moses gave it to us in the Ten Commandments. And through those Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law, God reveals his character, his nature, and his values to us. As such, the law, I believe, served two purposes. The first purpose, the law shows us what God is like. The the law introduces us to God. It shows us what God was all about. Secondly, the law shows us how short we all fall in measuring up to who God is. Because the law says, here's God and here you are. And guys, listen to me. It doesn't matter how good you try to be or how righteous you are in your own self-righteousness. You can never be good enough or righteous enough to have a relationship with God on your own. And that's what the law teaches us. It literally teaches us that we fall short. And that's why it was necessary for God in the fullness of time to reveal himself in a different way to us. His son Jesus. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 tells us that. What an awesome passage of scripture. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Thank God for that. Amen. God was at first revealed through the law, but now now God has been revealed in grace and truth. Let me read verse 17 again. It says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's that phrase again, grace and truth. We first hear that phrase in verse 14. It says Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was full of it. And now in verse 17, it says, it flows through him. It's actually coming out of his overflow. This grace and truth that was so full in the life of Jesus now can be yours. He's, he's giving you grace and truth. Grace and truth. Now, since it's mentioned two times here, I think I need to talk about both grace and truth. Let's flip around and talk about truth first. Truth is reality. So when something is true, it's the same as saying it's real. This is real. It's not a sham. It's not a fake. It's not a deception. It is the real deal. Say real deal. Real deal. That's what truth is. Truth is something that is real. Everything about God is truth. Amen? So it just stands to reason if the invisible God became visible and personal in Jesus Christ that we would see in Jesus truth. Let me ask you, do we see truth in Jesus? Absolutely. John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Amen. Can't get any better than that. So there is truth. But secondly, he talked about grace. What is grace? Grace is God's favor and kindness given to us when we don't deserve it, when we can't earn it, and certainly when we can't get along without it. To accomplish anything that God expects me to accomplish, I've got to have grace in my life. And in verse 14, again, it reminds us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now, can I look at me? Jesus was full of grace and truth. Can I tell you something? We're full of something. But I can certainly tell you it's not grace and truth. And when we possess grace and truth in relationships, it's usually out of balance. What am I talking about? Well, half of you, probably half of you, are grace people. I love grace people. Don't you? Man, I love grace people. Grace people are prone to give people the the benefit of the doubt, to forgive easily. You know, and if if you offend them, you know, it's okay. I forgive you. I love you. You know grace people are like this. They're just I love grace people. They they overlook personal offenses. They're just man, don't you love grace people? I'm trying to get you to say yes, we love grace people. But you know what? There is a problem with grace people. Sometimes grace people let things slide that actually need to be confronted. Are you with me? Because sometimes the people we love, they're the ones that need to be confronted the most. And grace people just tend to sometimes let all that slide and just go by. Truth people now. They're the other side of this. Truth people, black and white, man, they know the truth. They hold forth to the truth. They hold people accountable to the truth, to doing the right thing. And when people mess up or fall short of that, man, there ain't no grace there. Well, you big dummy, why'd you do it? I told you. I told you that was going to happen. Loser. (laughs) You know, the truth people. I I read about this this lady who was married to her husband, and she was full of truth. (laughs) Let me tell you. She went shopping one day and came home with a monkey. She had gone to a pet store, brought home a monkey. Wouldn't that be cool? She fell in love with this monkey at the pet store, so she brought the monkey home. Husband couldn't believe it. He he didn't want no monkey in his house. And so he said to her, where's this monkey going to eat? She said, at our table. He said, well, where's this monkey going to sleep? She said, in our bed. And he said, well, what about the odor? To which she said, well, I got used to it. I guess the monkey can too. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, let it out, come on. That's all I got today. That's the best one I got right there. Now, can I tell you what this woman was full of? Truth. But there was very little grace. However, this passage says Jesus was full of both. He was full of both grace and truth. He perfectly balanced what we find impossible to balance. Grace and truth. Look at verse 16 one more time. And of His fullness we have all received grace for grace. What an amazing statement. Just think of the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The the Lord Jesus is totally self-sufficient. Why? Because He is fully God. He needs nothing from anyone or anything else to be full. He's full of grace and truth because he's God. But we're different. We can't be full in and of ourselves. We must receive that fullness. And this fullness is available to us. The verse says, we've received this. That's the reason God sent his son. That's the reason Jesus came, to give us grace and truth. And when we drink from the fullness of Jesus Christ, we receive grace after grace after grace. That's what the verse says. Grace for grace. In other words, grace in exchange for grace. So, you can never exhaust God's grace. And when you come to Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, you don't receive what you deserve. Amen. You know what you get a good dose of? Grace. Grace. More grace. So here's what we've learned today. The invisible God has become visible and he's also become personal. It's one thing, however, to be visible, it's another thing to be personal. Think about that, one thing to be visible, another thing to be personal. I first saw her in the spring of 1981. I was a student at Hillsdale College, which is now Randall University. And they had their annual spring on-campus days. Jason, we talked about this. You know on-campus days. The campus was open to high school seniors from all over, and they would just pour in for on-campus days. I was standing there outside the A building looking across the parking lot, and here came this this car, and it parked. And this this good-looking girl got out. Another good-looking girl got out. A third good-looking girl got out. And then two mamas got out. And I noticed their license plate. It was from Arkansas. And here's the thought I had. No no lie. I can remember having this thought in 1981. They make them pretty cute in Arkansas. (laughs) Because let me tell you, there weren't very many cute girls at Hillsdale at the time. (laughs) I'd gone, listen, I'm just being real with you, man. I'd gone the whole year, and I hadn't seen very many pretty girls don't y'all like it when I'm truthful? And there she was. Angie Archer was one of those girls. Her sister, Candace Archer, her mama, Peggy, and then her best friend, Greta. And remind me what her mom's name was? Jeanette Richards. Man, I met all three of them. Just letting that sink in. (laughs) On campus days ended again. That was the spring of 1981. Fall of 1981. Angie comes to Hillsdale with her best friend Greta. Now Greta had planned on coming. Angie had not planned on. It was two weeks before school started. She decided she'd go to Hillsdale. What'd you say? That's how I roll. That's how you roll. (laughs) Can I tell you? It was divine intervention. So they come to Hillsdale and, you know, got to know Greta and Angie. Actually, I dated Greta. That's another story (laughs) that we don't have time for. You know, every day I would see Angie. I mean, small campus, you know, two, three hundred students. See her in the cafeteria, see her walking across campus. Say, hey... Hey, Angie. Hey, Will. That's about it. Never had a deep conversation with her, casual, until the spring of the next year, 82, spring of 82. I happened to be out at the softball field, and she happened to be playing a softball game. We had three different uh, societies, and she was a part of the LMA society, and she was out there. She was shortstop. Man, she was shortstop. And, I, I mean, I, I was just kind of walking by, but I just stopped, watched a little bit of the game. And, I just, man, I just went to, my eyes went to shortstop. And there she was. Gary, I can remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> she had on her red LMA shirt, and she had rolled her sleeves up. Oh, no. That was pretty risque at Hillsdale. <laughs> you couldn't wear shorts I mean, back in 82, you could not wear shorts on campus. So she had on her jeans, but she had them rolled up. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, mm, she's, she's pretty radical. <laughs> and she was good. I mean, she was snagging everything that was hit to her shortstop. And you know what? All of a sudden, I saw her like I had never seen her before and Ron something clicked not in my head but in my heart <laughs> and I <laughs> getting pretty deep isn't it no lie Keenan. I said to myself I can remember this like it was yesterday I can't remember what happened yesterday but I can remember <laughs> this and I said to myself, Will, what in the world have you been doing dating that Greta girl? <laughs> Angie's the one for you. And so right after the game, I went up to her and said, hey, hey Angie, you want to go get a Coke? Again, we had pretty stringent dating rules in the day, but during the day, you could, you know... You could go get a Coke without having to sign out and all that kind of business. And what did she say? No. Oh, she didn't say no. <laughs> can I tell you? Listen, can I tell you? Guys, come on. Secretly, she had been checking me out for a year. Right? <laughs> she said yes. We went, we went to Moore, Oklahoma. We got a Coke. And can I look at me? Look at me. It's a personal story, but it's deep in my heart. Everything changed that day. Everything changed. I saw her like I had never seen her before. We had a conversation like we had never had before. That day, everything changed for me. My whole life changed that day. Now, can I tell you, before that, Angie was visible. She had been living for 19 years. She was visible, but you know what? Only from a distance. That day, everything changed. And I, for one, can say, thank you, Lord. Really, it was a God thing. If that day hadn't happened, these kids wouldn't be here today, would they? I tell you what, I wouldn't be here today. Thank God that that day, everything changed. You know what, for a lot of you, God is that way. He's visible, but you really don't know him. Oh, you know about Him. You've read about Him. You've heard about Him. He's been visible, but only from a distance. Can I tell you something? God wants that to change today. God wants that distance to evaporate. God wants to be up close and personal in your life. And do you understand? That is the very reason for the incarnation. That's why God came to this earth. So that he could have a personal relationship with you. And so this morning, two things. If you're here today and you're a believer, would you fall back in love with Jesus? Remember remember how it was that first day, everything changed with you and Jesus. Fall back in love with him. Leave this room today glorifying him and praising him and embracing him and worshiping him like you never have before. And if you're not a believer... It's my prayer that you would be moved to the very core of your being and that you would invite Jesus to become your Savior today.